We're in the commands of Christ. We are in the commands of Christ. We're talking about the fact that, yes, hello. We'll talk later. Um, The commands of Christ. Jesus is, um, he hasn't just called us and saved us for no reason. He hasn't just called us and saved us so we can live a comfortable, culturally appropriate life. He's actually called us and saved us and done everything that we've just talked about this morning so that we would obey. And he's given us commands, and that's what we're looking at, the commands of Christ. He expects us to live these out, but he doesn't just call us to do it, he actually empowers us to do it by his Spirit. And so that's what we're looking at. And today we come to a a wonderful passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 4. And I'm going to get you to stand up as we read this together. Matthew chapter 4 from verse 12 through 17. It says this, When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, The people who were living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. You may be seated. One of the things that I love about God's word is that it just never, ever ceases to surprise me. I don't know about you guys, but this thing never, ever, ever gets old. It's just an incredible, magnificent, living text. And um, the more you explore it and the more you dive into it, the more you realise why Paul, in the middle of a letter to, to the church in Rome, just constantly goes off on tangents. And one of those tangents I love, in the middle of this theological discourse, he goes, oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. I love that. And I find myself doing that more and more as I'm looking at this. And as I looked at this passage today, I realized that for basically the entirety of my Christian life in reading this passage, I had just effortlessly breezed from chapter 4, verse 11 through 4, verse 12 without batting an eyelid. I'd never sort of even considered, I'd just gone, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, the devil left him, and then Jesus' ministry, he went and began to preach and do ministry. And I never even thought anything of it until this week, I just got completely stuck on verse 12. Because I realised something, as I went from verse 11 To verse 12, there is a hugely significant moment that Matthew is trying to get us to appreciate here. Because it says, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison. So Jesus is going from the temp... Matthew's talking about Jesus' temptation. He says, when Jesus heard John has been put in prison. And I started to say, well, hang on. What about John chapter 2, 3, and 4? Where all this other stuff is going, like the wedding in... Cana and this, this Samaritan woman that Jesus encounters and Nicodemus who Jesus encounters. I'm like, Matthew's literally just skipped a huge period of Jesus' ministry here that if we just breeze through, we miss. 
And what Matthew's done is, if this was a movie, Matt Nichols, what it would be, the scene would come up and say, about 12 months later. So Jesus is tempted, then about 12 months later, Jesus hears something. And he hears that John the Baptist, his cousin and forebearer in ministry, has been put in prison. And this is what struck me. Because up until this point in time, John had been operating in favour. The nation was flocking to John's ministry. They were flocking to this crazy weirdo in the wilderness, eating locusts and honey and dressed in random attire, baptising people with a message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The people loved it. Even the leaders were coming out to him like he had favour. And I realised something, in the space of 12 months, something shifted in their culture. This man who had such favour is now in prison. And the reason is because King Herod at the time had taken his brother's wife to be his own And everyone was ignoring it, except for John. And John started to call him out and say, this is not okay. John started to preach a message of the kingdom that was counter to the message of his culture. John started to declare convictions of biblical truth that didn't sit comfortably with the convictions of his culture. He refused to tickle the ears of those who were listening, and because he refused to tickle their ears, he ended up in prison. And the Bible says that when Jesus heard about this, something happened. The Bible says that as the kingdom and culture started radically colliding, not just to the point where it was a little point of difference, but they were grating against each other to the point where John would go to prison, Jesus goes full-time. This is a, if this is a movie, this is a moment where it's slow motion, the music's playing, the wind's blowing through the hair and Jesus is just walking. <laughs> and all these people who, the disciples who had sort of been around him, if you read John 1, 2 and 3, you see that he had disciples who were following him. But in this moment, they go full time. They leave their nets and they say, we're in. Full time, full on ministry. And what's the message that Jesus preaches from this moment on? It's the command that we come to today. From that time on, from that time on, from the moment culture and kingdom no longer fit nicely together, Jesus' message becomes repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the command that we come to today. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because as I read this, I could not get past the fact that I don't think our world is all that different right now. So here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to give you, we're going to, we're going to bring some clarity around what repentance is. We're going to look at what actually causes repentance. Then we're going to look at the consequence, what, what happens individually and, and corporately. Is that all right? So, let's look at this. What, what is repentance? Um, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I sort of, as especially as a kid growing up in a Christian home, I always saw repentance as this like prayer of confession. Did anyone else here have this moment where you'd go to bed at night and you think, oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry. <laughs> He's like, please save me, Lord. Please don't let me go to hell. 
I'm really sorry that I looked at Paul's test. I really shouldn't have looked at his test and got that answer. I'm really sorry that I screamed at Daniel for not passing me the ball when I was open. And you'd go to bed and you'd be upset about the things that you'd done during the day. And then you'd wake up in the morning, you'd do it all again. You'd go back to bed and you're like, Jesus, I'm here again. Please forgive me, Lord. And I just repent, Lord Jesus. I don't want to go to hell. Please save me. Night after, did anyone else do that? Night after, night after, night. Nah, okay, I'm just a weirdo. I'm just alone (laughs) in that space. Fantastic. Thanks for letting me know that. But that was very much like for me, that's what I, like every night I'd be just like, that's how I saw repentance, this sort of sackcloth and ashes and, oh, I'm so sorry, God, over and over and over and over and over again. Um, What I've realized is that actually that's not repentance, that repentance is not a prayer. Repentance is so much more than that. It's so much deeper than that. Because I think we have this idea in our culture kind of like we have the kingdom of darkness, right? And we have the kingdom of light. And I think a lot of us would see repentance almost as we're dwelling in the kingdom of darkness in the world. And and when we repent, we receive God's grace and it kind of becomes like a ticket out of the kingdom of darkness. And we're kind of sitting here waiting for Jesus to come back and or for us to go to the kingdom of heaven. It's like, I'm going to leave the kingdom of darkness. I've got my ticket out. And a day will come when I get to abide with God in the kingdom of heaven. I think that's how a lot of us actually view this idea of repentance. And this idea of the kingdom. Some of the stuff that we talk about over and over again. Leave the kingdom of darkness. Enter the kingdom of heaven. This is what we want to do. Escape all of this bad stuff. And enter the good stuff. But what we realize when we're reading this text and we're, we're reading things about the kingdom and what Jesus is saying is it's actually not like this at all. Actually, it's very, very different because the message that Jesus brought is a very different message. It's a message saying that he would come, the kingdom of light would come to the kingdom of darkness. That Christ himself, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, would come and he would say, it's not just about you saying sorry, leaving this and coming to me. No, I am coming here. And I'm going to make my home here. And I'm going to come and move and Bring about victory in your life. I'm going to come and make a way for those who were dwelling in darkness to enter the kingdom of light. He's actually calling us and saying that when we repent, when we we receive all that he has for us, we actually become from darkness to light. We become agents of light in the darkness. This idea that the kingdom is inaugurated but not yet consummated. A day will come when the the kingdom is consummated on his final return. But right now, the kingdom is now but not yet. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is here. Jesus has come to establish his kingdom on earth as in heaven. And he's calling his people to be a part of this kingdom of light, shining the light in the darkness. And so the message in that is repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what does it mean by repentance? Well, actually, it's a Greek word. Everyone loves Greek. 
And the Greek word is metanioa. Do you want to say that? Metanioa. And here's what it actually means. It means a change of mind. A change, and by mind, it's talking about body, mind, soul, spirit, heart. It means a change of everything within you. A complete trans. It's not a prayer. It's not a prayer of confession. It's not repentance. Is not saying sorry. It's about a conviction that transforms the way we think about things. That's what metanoia means. So when Jesus says repent, he says he's saying transform your mind and your way of viewing everything. For the kingdom of heaven is here. And can I take you a little bit deeper into some Greek grammar? Who's up for some Greek grammar at, eight, at 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning? Anyone? Because here's the other thing. When you study Greek, you actually learn that there's different types of verbs, right? And so some of these verbs um, are what you would call, well, an imperative, which means a command, which means to do something, yeah? And one of those verbs is what you would call aorist. Everyone say aorist. And what that means is like a singular momentary thing, like jump that fence. I do it. I jump that fence and it's done. Once off command. A once off imperative. Jump that fence. But then there's this other type of imperative, which is a present tense imperative, which is much rarer. For example, love your neighbor. And what that means is not I have now loved Robin and therefore I no no longer need to love him. Because I obeyed. No, no, no. Present tense imperatives means I must keep on loving my neighbor. Guess what the command to repent is? It's a present tense imperative. We've all learned something on a Sunday morning. The command to repent is a present tense imperative. That means it's not a, I, I say a prayer and I'm done. No, it is a, it is a call to a lifestyle of turning from darkness to light. It is a call to a continual way of life. I must go on repenting. And it's not like me as a kid, oh, Jesus, I'm sorry again. No, it's this turning, my mind being transformed, my heart being transformed from darkness to light. As God consumes me and transforms, and it's an ongoing thing. Jesus is saying the kingdom is here, so live a lifestyle of continual transformation, turning away from the darkness which so readily captivates us and draws us towards the glorious kingdom of light. That's what repentance is. That's the call to repent. This is what Jesus is saying when he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. Here's what I want you to understand, friends. Repentance is not a ticket out It is transformation in. Repentance is not a ticket out to here. No, repentance is the transformation in where the kingdom becomes alive in us. Are you with me? We good? Fantastic. We're awfully quiet this morning. Okay, so let's look at the cause. So if that's what repentance is around clarity, let's look at the cause. What causes Repentance. I need to take you to a couple of places. The first one is 2 Kings chapter 22. Go there if you've got your Bibles. And then the second one is going to be Acts chapter 2. So Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is it here. All right? If we go to 2 Kings chapter 22, we see this incredible story about the life of King Josiah. 
Now, King Josiah was basically uh, the second or third to last king of Judah before Judah got taken over by Babylon, right? And Josiah was a man of God. But before Josiah, his father and his father's father were two of the worst, most evil, violent, disgraceful, disgusting kings who have ever walked the planet. And they led Israel combined for 57 years. And they completely forsook all the commands of of the Lord, right? Manasseh, the, the first one of these kings, he actually had shrine prostitutes inside the temple of God. So worship inside the temple of God. Talk about desecration. People were going in there and they were shrine prostitutes. There's children in the room, so I don't want to spend too much time explaining that, but hopefully as an adult you're understanding what I'm putting down right now. Inside the temple of God, there was babies being sacrificed to, the, to a false god, Moloch. People would bring their infant and their infant would be slaughtered as an act of worship. This is what the kings before Josiah led the nation into. And Josiah comes along and he takes the throne at eight years of age, raised by a godly woman. Oh, there's something on that too. Raised by a godly woman, he didn't, the Bible says he did not walk in the way of his father's. And so he had this idea that, well, there's something wrong, but he didn't know what was wrong. And at the age of 18, he orders uh, some people to clean out the temple. He orders some people to fix it up, do some repairs. And when they're fixing the temple, when they're working, they discover something. 57 years, the word of God had been completely lost. And when Josiah is 18 years old, they discover what is called the word of the Lord, the book of Deuteronomy. They find it in the temple. They find him and watch this, chapter 22, verse 8 to 11. Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan, who read it. Then Shaphan, the secretary, went to the king and reported him, your officials have paid out the money so that the work of the temple of the Lord and entrusted it to the work and supervisor of the temple. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it from the presence of the king, in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. Go to chapter 23. Then, verse 1, then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, regulations and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in the book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. Skip ahead to verse 25. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did, who repented as he did, with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with the law of Moses. As you read that story, what you discover is this king heard the word of God, was so convicted by the truth that was proclaimed, his entire life was radically transformed. 
and not only his, but Israel's, the entire nation of Judah, was radically transformed. He went on an absolute mission of purifying the nation. And he purified the nation and he got rid of all of the filth and all of the muck that filled that whole nation. And he called everyone to this place of turning from darkness to light. Josiah heard the word and he caused repentance to flow. Now with that in mind, go to Acts 2. We know from Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, right? The Holy Spirit comes and the disciples are filled with the Spirit. The people are going, what's going on here? And as you go from verse 13, well, from verse 14, Peter gets up and preaches and he proclaims the truth of God to the people, right? Proclaims the truth of God. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, what should we do? Peter replied, repent, metanoia, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many words, he warned them, pleaded with them, save yourselves. Those who accepted his message and were baptized were 3,000. What do we see? Mass gathering. Proclamation of truth, outpouring of repentance. What did we see with Josiah? Mass gathering, proclamation of truth, mass outpouring of repentance. Are you with me? Repentance is turning from darkness to light, this lifestyle of following Christ with everything that I am flows from a revelation of truth. It flows from when the truth of God is proclaimed in the middle of darkness. And here's what I want us to grasp. You need to understand this, friends. We are in a spiritual battle, and you need to understand that the greatest weapon of the enemy against the people of God is not a pitchfork and fire. Sometimes we sit there and we're like, oh, the devil's coming against me and oppressing me. The greatest weapon the enemy has is deception. He is the father of lies. His sole job, his sole purpose is to try and get the people of God to forsake the truth of God. Why? Because what does the truth do? Leads to repentance. Because the truth sets us free. Because the truth releases us from this appeal for darkness and it sets us into the glorious kingdom of light. That's what a revelation of truth does. And so the enemy's like, I just got to get rid of truth. I've got to distort truth. I've got to make truth something that that people will reject altogether if possible, or at the very least, I've got to twist it and distort it and turn it into a little half-truth. There's nothing more dangerous than a half-truth. You see it in relationships. When someone comes up to you, especially when you're younger, in high school, oh my God, she said this. And she kind of said that, but she didn't really say that. Maybe those words were there, but they might have just been emphasized differently. It's a half-truth, and it's so dangerous because it just leads to so much destruction, doesn't it? 
And this is what the enemy wants to do. He wants to destroy truth because truth is the cause. Truth is what will lead us to this place of repentance, to this place of radical transformation. The word of God needs to be proclaimed as it is, what it says, not what we might think it says or not what we might want it to say. We need to proclaim, proclaim it as it is. Because when truth is proclaimed in the kingdom of darkness, we will see revival. We will see people having their eyes opened and turning from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. This is what mass repentance leads to. It leads to revival. Do you want our land revived, friends? Do you want our land revived? Because I'll tell you what, our land needs it. Our land needs it. The kingdom battle is fundamentally always a battle for truth. Light and darkness, truth and lies. We need to start proclaiming the truth. So what's the consequence? What happens when truth is proclaimed, if truth is the cause of repentance? What's the consequence? What happens when we see this? Well, I want to talk about a couple of things, individual and then corporately. So individually, what do we see? In, uh, in Matthew 3, 8, when we go back to that and John is preaching that same message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here, what we see is that he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So repentance, the consequence of repentance is good fruit. And that fruit is revealed in Galatians 5. It's the fruit of the Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Have you ever noticed that when, when someone like, has this revelation of light, of who God is, something happens to them? Have you ever noticed that? Has it happened in your life? Has something happened in your life? Because it should. When you have a revelation of who God is, when the truth of God is proclaimed and your eyes are open to who he is, because he is truth, thy word is truth. He's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. He's the way, the truth, and the life. When we know who he is and our eyes are open, we're like, ah, oh my goodness. Are you telling me that the king of all heaven who created all things would leave Heaven's throne, take on flesh, live a life, and then not just live the life that we could never live, but he would choose to go to a cross, despite all the lies of the enemy, which we so easily buy into, which we so easily are drawn to. You can't tell me Satan wasn't sitting on Jesus' shoulder as he's on his way to the cross saying, who the heck are these people to mock you? You spoke them into existence. Prove them wrong. Prove him wrong. Go on. That's why the voice was saying, come down from there. Satan didn't want Jesus to go to the cross. He knew that would end all things. He wanted him desperately to, to put himself above the will of the Father. He wanted Jesus to worship him. He wanted Jesus to worship himself. He wanted Jesus to do anything but go to the cross and be obedient to the will of the Father. And he's saying, go on, prove it, prove it. He's whispering lies, 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 lies. Even from the temptation in the garden, he's saying, oh, doesn't the word say half-truth? 
That's what he does. But Jesus is like, no. How did he refute it? With truth. Word, word, word. He refutes the enemy by coming back to the promises of God. And as he does, he then powerfully goes to the cross and he dies a horrific death so that we might know life. And then he gives us his spirit. He says, go and bring people from death to life. Be filled with the spirit. Become a light bearer. Become champions of the kingdom of God. That's what I'm calling you to be. And when we catch a revelation of that, and we're like, wow. You can't not be changed. You can't do that and be like, that's interesting. (laughs) But there's more important things to do. My roses really need pruning right now because, do you know what I mean? Like, it does something to us and that produces fruit in keeping with repentance. It's an individual transformation. There's evidence that something's happened in our lives and that evidence leads to hope. Hope of a better day. Hope of a consummated kingdom. Hope of transformation. But there's also another thing. There's a corporate calling. And I think we've lost this in our culture. We're a very individualistic culture, aren't we? We're so individualistic. Like, we just constantly think about what's in it for me. <laughs> it's about me. It's about what I want. And we so often, with, our, with Christianity, we, we make it about just me as well. And we forget the fact that God calls a people. God's the generational God. Blessings for a thousand generations. Cursed the three or four generations. He called a people. He built a church. Which is full of people, but it's a church which has endured for 2,000 years and not just endured, thrived and will continue to as the people of God focus on the kingdom and the truth and live lives of repentance. And I've been struck this week, and the band, you can come up because we're going to close, but I've been really struck this week about this generational heart of God. And focusing on Josiah and the fact that the darkness wasn't his fault He's not the guy who led Israel into these horrific things, was he? He was eight years old when he came to the throne. It wasn't his fault. And in our day, we go, it's not my fault, God. That's not fair. This this conviction that there's judgments coming on a nation, he goes, well, it's not my fault. I did nothing wrong. But he doesn't do that. Because he understands that God's a generational God. And he has a revelation of who God is. He has a revelation of truth. And what he does is he calls the nation to repentance. He repents for the kingdom is at hand. And the same is true for the church. When when the Spirit of God comes and breathes life into the church, the message is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And I just wonder if there's a place for us as a church to start repenting on behalf of our nation. I just wonder if there's a place for us to hear this word, to look at our world, to look at the darkness of the culture that we're living in, and for us to actually start to go, do you know what? We need to repent on behalf of this nation. All you have to do is look at our parliament right now. Look at the bills that are coming before our parliament. In Victoria, this suppression bill, is the most anti-Christian bill this nation has ever seen. 
Someone said to me recently, this bill that's before Parliament right now would make the Soviet Union blush by how anti-Christian it is. If if someone comes to me and says, if this law goes through and they say, look, I'm wrestling with same-sex attraction, I want to follow the way of the Lord, can you pray for me? And I say yes, according to that bill, I could go to prison for 10 years for praying, for proclaiming truth. This is an anti-truth bill. Could it be that the church of Jesus Christ, instead of sitting by waiting for our ticket to heaven, needs to get in to the darkness and start proclaiming truth and living a lifestyle of repentance? Could it be that we need to stop cowering to our culture and like Josiah, have a conviction to proclaim truth no matter the cost? He could have had all his father's advisors come and say, what are you doing? Dead. But no, he stood firm on a proclamation of truth and a transformed nation. The early church, when Peter said, repent and be filled with the Spirit, risked life and limb for 300 years, didn't stop them from proclaiming a message of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. No. And because of that, we sit here, right here, right now, in our comfort, happy to let our culture go on by because we're waiting for our ticket to heaven. Enough! Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We have a bill before South Australian Parliament right now, which passed the upper house. before they would enter the world, you are allowed to abort that infant. If it is born, doctors are not allowed to resuscitate that child. How is it any different from sacrificing a child to Molech? I'm being awfully strong, but I feel like we need to. How is not being allowed to pray for someone any different from Nebuchadnezzar saying to Daniel, you may not pray or worship any other god but this statue? Same lie, different clothing. Same darkness, different era. Repent. 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 And it's not about going, oh God, we're sorry. No, it's about a radical transformation. Fill me with your spirit. Transform my life. Fill me with the light of God. That come what may, this darkness will not take over me. I will live for the kingdom of light by the power of the Spirit for the glory of God until death takes me to this. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Second Chronicles 7.14, a famous passage which really has been on my heart for probably five years. And I think I'm only just starting to understand it. Solomon dedicates the temple. The Lord appears to him. From verse 12, it says, The Lord appeared to him at night and said, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. This is him saying, Now I've chosen the church as my place to proclaim the message of the kingdom. When I shut up the heavens so there is no rain, 
will command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people. Do you believe there's a plague among these people right now? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. What is that? What do we just learn that is? That's repentance. If my people would repent, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Do you know our land needs healing? I said, do you know our land needs healing? Do you desire to see our land transformed? Then it's time for us. humbling ourselves before the cross to keep on gazing at your glory to keep on 
magnify your name because the kingdom is here. Because the kingdom is here. And as we take these elements, may we have that moment of reflecting on the kingdom is here. As we sang those songs, the kingdom is here. Jesus has come. The kingdom is here. The kingdom has dawned. And though it is not yet consummated, we live in the now and the not yet. We live in this place where there is light and darkness. Father God, may we not be drawn to darkness so easily, but may we fix our eyes on the light. May we live in the light and therefore become light-bearing jars of clay to a world that so desperately needs it, uncompromisingly proclaiming the truth of the gospel that we might see revival in our day. We surrender our lives to you. We repent. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.